Hello and welcome to Science Matters, the podcast of the Georgia Tech College of Sciences. I'm Renee San Miguel. We continue our conversation with Mark Hay, award-winning Regents Professor and Harry and Linda Teasley Chair of the School of Biological Sciences. Hay is one of the world's leading experts on algae and ocean biosystems. In part one of this podcast, we detailed the symbiotic relationship between algae and corals. Algae, like seaweed and kelp, are photosynthetic organisms. They serve a key role in ocean health. They provide nutrients to corals, which in turn provide homes for algae and other sea life when they excrete exoskeletons that become coral reefs. This delicate balance has been thrown out of whack by climate change. In part one, Hay explained that after more than 30 years of diving in the world's oceans, he wasn't researching in the Caribbean Ocean anymore because most of the reefs there are dead. Hay continues to dive and study in the Pacific. He describes how he and his team discovered other threats to coral reefs brought about by overfishing. Threats in the form of certain hungry species of starfish and snails. The two things we, we've looked at, um, one of them, there's something called crown thorn starfish that back in the 60s and 70s, people started noticing there were outbreaks of these and they eat coral. And if they're at high abundance, they eat most of the coral and then they just line up in a mass and they, they walk down the reef like a lawnmower, just devastating everything. It's r- really quite impressive. I mean, in Guam, there was like, I can't remember, 60 miles of reef was just eaten. Wow. And these guys sort of marched down over a year or two. Um, and so, we started thinking about this. Well, you know, once you get these protected areas that's got a lot of coral, where are these coral-eating things going to go? You know, is this like pouring a pile of candy in the, in the middle of the daycare center and thinking <laughs> it's going to persist? Nobody really understands, even to today, where the babies come from. There's like almost none around, and then all of a sudden there's a, there's a big bloom of these things. And what we think is going on is that the babies are settling into rubble in the really damaged areas, these these algal overgrown things. Staying down in the rubble until they get big enough to, to ward off predator stuff. Then they emerge and then they smell all this coral that's 100 meters away yeah. and they all head over there. We found that that these predators were attracted to the good areas and so once you succeed and and rebuild one of these small reefs well, you may be at risk of the starfish coming in and eating the corals. Now the, the other part of this is there were some gastropod snails that uh, eat corals. This was a species that we, we call it the tick or the vampire snail. Okay. It sort of sets at the base of the coral and it, it, it sucks out tissue and the coral tries to recover that tissue just as like if you get a wound you're you know you start reallocating resources to that wound and so these guys just start sucking at the base and they sit there and so you don't see a trail you don't see damaged stuff you just see you know a few snails snails sitting around Mm -hmm. and so we planted out some of these corals and put uh, different sized snails on them and showed that they were actually slowing the growth of the coral by 20 to 40 percent, which is a big deal yeah. um, at, at the densities we were using. And we saw them then at huge densities in the, the overfished areas. 
And so what was happening, many of the susceptible corals were already gone. There's a few tough corals that are kind of the last man standing in these uh, damaged areas. Those were the ones these guys were eating, and so they're, they're killing off your last chance. And we were finding just um, dramatically high densities of these things in the damaged area on the little bit of coral that was left. Lest you think the news is too grim, Hay has seen how coral reefs may be trying to heal themselves. His research suggests that coral larvae, what he calls coral babies, steer away from bad places such as reefs that have too much algae. It's, it's true that if we back off, most of the time nature will fix itself. Yeah. 2.7 times as many people on earth as when I was born. We're all using more stuff. You know, I got I motorcycles, stacked. I got cars, we're eating yeah. more food, we're all getting fatter. And, you know, it's we're not backing off. There's nothing, I can't find any data that says we're backing off. Mm -hmm. I think we need to proactively go in and treat um, the damage. But what we're trying to do in part is say, what are the really critical interactions so we can go in and tweak those and help nature recover more rapidly. Mm -hmm. So we know for these reefs that we worked on that it's, it's been effective to stop fishing. The corals came back. Now, 100 years from now, can they do that with the warmed, acidified oceans? We don't know. Yeah. We're not sure. Um, but it, it did it over the last 10 or 12 years there. Those reefs got a lot better. Once they were better, so that saved that part of the reef, one of the functions of that is to have enough babies coming out of there to go save other parts of the reef. However, there's been strong evolutionary pressure for these babies to go to a good place, not a bad place. And so we, we learned that we looked at 15 different species of fish in six different families. We looked at herbivores, carnivores, coral eaters, um, all the different groups of fish. The babies could smell the marine protected areas that were covered by coral and go there. And they could smell the seaweed dominated areas and avoid them. Coral larvae, which, I mean, baby fish have, have fins and a nose. So, I mean, I was surprised they could swim against currents and do this, but they did it. Yeah. Coral larvae are like a, a bag of snot with some silly on the outside. <laughs> I mean, they, you would think they can't swim against the current. They can't swim against the current, okay? Yeah. So, but they did the same thing. They were attracted to the smell of a healthy reef. They, they avoided the smell of, of these algal-covered reefs. But, but it means that a lot of these damaged areas won't recover unless we give them the signals, or unless we make them receptive to these larvae. And we can't just put out the right smell and have them come in because we've done transplants. If we transplant babies into that damaged area, they just die. If we transplant them in a good area, they do pretty well. Yeah. And so we've got to get rid of the seaweeds and make that more receptive. And we know that there's 29 species of important herbivorous fish and the reefs we worked on, four of them are the ones that remove most of those seaweeds. And so the villagers don't have to quit fishing, but if they quit fishing on those four, yeah. those four will remove the seaweeds. That'll make the area more attractive to corals and other fishes. You get that area back. They have coastal protection. They have more fish. Yeah. 
Um, and so I, I think through those kind of tweaks and sort of understanding the chemical signals, because almost all these organisms are talking to each other, yeah. but they're doing that chemically. Okay. I'm wondering if it's not too late, if the damage has already been yeah. done, because I'm hearing from other yeah. uh, media and other reports about the health of coral reefs, some people being very, very yeah. pessimistic. Yeah. It's possible that coral reefs are on their way out and, and they'll never recover. That is not an impossibility. Um, but, you know, what I'm supposed to do for society at some level is be sort of an encyclopedia that answers questions you haven't had yet. And uh, yeah. so we're going to keep working at it and, and try to be, um, I mean, the data are not very promising. The, the direction of change is not good. Um, but um, I, th I think some of us, need to keep working at finding ways to improve that and um, you know I'm willing to tilt at windmills if that's what it takes. What, what parts of ocean health and marine ecology will have your attention and that yeah. of the researchers in, okay. in the Hay Lab? We, we started working a little bit with this ocean acidification and temperature stuff. We've shifted over from looking at uh, ocean acidification and temperature changes both to just looking at temperature now because in the last couple of years temperature alone has killed so much so quickly. Ocean acidification is a big deal, but the the rise in temperature is going to kill off most stuff before acidification That's does. The more so we're to it, it seems so. It seems so. There's another interactor in all of this that people haven't been able to address and didn't understand. And that was microbes, mm -hmm. and that it may be. I mean, we've shown that seaweeds can poison and kill corals. It may be that what they're doing is poisoning and killing the, the beneficial microbes that are on the coral, and without those microbes, then the coral dies. Yeah. And so there may be another step in here, and, and we're looking a lot at that. We are, we're not seeing the big changes that many people have talked about, um, but most of those are correlative, where they've gone to a, a good reef here and a bad reef a thousand miles away and said the microbes are different and so this bad reef must have been killed by the microbes. Okay. I'm a little worried that that might be like I looked at a live rabbit and I looked at a dead rabbit on the road and the microbes were different and therefore the microbes must have squished this rabbit on the road. Okay, And so it could be a, a consequence instead of a cause. We're seeing differences in a few unusual microbes in these not big community changes but it's entirely possible that those few unusual ones are making antibiotics that are protecting the coral and in fact we have some data for that really? so we're we're working yeah so we can take one of the species of coral so in the in the Pacific there's about 600 species of coral a quarter of those are in one genus called acropora and it's, it's the one that makes a lot of the structure in shallow water reefs. Mm -hmm. um, the evolution of, of fish diversity in the Pacific correlates with the evolution of acropora diversity. I mean, it's, it's a kingpin in what's going sure. on out there. And if we take that coral from the seaweed-dominated area and take the slime off of it and test it against coral pathogens, it's somewhat suppressive. Okay, so it's somewhat antibiotic. Okay. If we take that same coral 
from the marine protected area, which has high coral and almost no seaweed, it's very suppressive. Okay, and so somehow the abundance of seaweeds is suppressing the ability of this coral to defend itself. What was it that attracted you to this particular part of science? I always liked being in the water. Really? Yeah, I, you know, I was in streams and lakes and stuff, and, um, you know, they're nice. Um, coral reefs are nicer. And <laughs> so, you know, it was... Um, it, it, I started working in the uh, in the marine intertidal in California doing some stuff, and then started working down in Mexico a little bit, and that was neater. There was more species sure. and things, and then got the option of going to Panama for two years and working through the Smithsonian to do my dissertation, and I was like, yes. Mm -hmm. And I'd never seen it really. I mean, I'd been in Florida, and I'd snorkeled around and stuff, but I was not. Um, I didn't know squat about coral reefs. And so I sat there for three weeks reading everything I could find and then realized people don't know enough. I'm just going to go get in the water and do experiments. And I'm really good at, at seeing questions and figuring out ways to do that in the wild as opposed to in the lab. Well, I don't want to do it in the lab where I can show it could happen. I want to do it in the field where I can show it does happen, you know. In other words, I'm not doing it with two species in an aquarium. I'm doing it with these two species that are surrounded by a thousand others and that there's storms and there's heat waves and, and it still was important enough to work. That's what excites me about doing ecology in the field. In addition to the Smith Medal, Hay has won other major awards, including the Silver Medal, the highest honor from the International Society of Chemical Ecology. My thanks to Mark Hay, Professor and Harry and Linda Teasley Chair in the School of Biological Sciences. Cyan Joe, former research associate in the School of Psychology, composed our theme music. If you like this episode of Science Matters, please consider subscribing. We are on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. This is Science Matters, the podcast of the Georgia Tech College of Sciences. I'm Renee San Miguel. Thanks for listening.